So the quoted sloka from the Srimad Bhagavatam speaking about the fulfillment of the natural consequence of, uh, of eating. If we're hungry and we're fed, there's some natural result and it's experienced. It's not just, I think I'm being nourished. I think my hunger is being dissipated. I think I'm becoming full. I think it tastes good. We experience those things. Similarly, in spiritual life, we need to come to that experiential plane of spiritual awareness. Now, of course, in the beginning, that's difficult for us. First of all, we're so much limited by our prior habits of exploitation that when we take to spiritual involvement, we naturally take it to be the same as what we've always experienced. So we try to bring the spiritual down into our mundane realm. We think that we can approach spiritual progress in the same way that we've approached material exploitation. Because that's all we know. So we naturally think, well, if I apply the same principles that have got me through material life, to this spiritual endeavor, then why would I not be successful? And we learn as we progress in spiritual life that it's not quite like that. It's not on that plane. It's not really a business arrangement. Now in the beginning, the guru, the teacher, the spiritual master, the priest, whatever, wherever you're taking your spiritual nourishment from, he may give direction that appears to be on the same level because he has to engage us. He has to give us some engagement to purify our senses. He has to give us something to do with our mind and senses so that we can no longer be controlled by them but gradually become the master of them. Generally, in material existence, the senses are controlling us at every moment. So how to gain control of the senses requires a little endeavor on our part, and good guidance gives us some direction. You do like this. Refrain from certain grossly sinful activities. Engage in some spiritual activity. And in the beginning, the spiritual activity that we engage in is truly it's just a shadow of true spiritual realization. In the beginning, even our chanting of the Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Even in the beginning, our chanting is, is still covered because of our material propensity. So it's called a shadow. It's a shadow of pure chanting. If we were to begin to chant and Krishna was to come before us, we'd say, well, this is, this is magnificent. But the fact of the matter is, it would be overwhelming for us in our current condition. It's a gradual process that's well-balanced. It's expertly managed by those who have tread the path before us.
because we have to come to the platform of utter humility, as Sri Chaitanya says in Trinata Pisunichena. That utter humility brings us to the platform of true relish for the holy name. And gradually, all the anarthas, and what are those anarthas? Those anarthas are in misconceptions. Misconceptions that spiritual life has anything to do with material life. It has nothing to do with material life. But we try to, we try to approach it the way we'd approach buying groceries or working a job or courting a lover. We think, well, I can just apply all this that I did in my material life to my spiritual life and attain success. But Bhakti Devi, the process of pure devotional service, it's entirely on a different realm. Now, when we begin devotional practice, sometimes we're given some glimpse into that realm by the mercy of the devotees. We feel something special. We may see something special. We may taste something special. Generally, tasting is a good start. That, I remember when I first tasted prasadam. It was like, wow, where did that come from? And it was just simple, you know, simple foodstuffs, but... There was some quality there that I knew. There's a quality here that I've never experienced before that I can remember. There's some distinction here. Or when I saw a picture of Krishna in front of Bhagavad Gita, it was like, do I know that person? No, I actually felt, maybe I know this. I feel, maybe I know. I've experienced this. Or what to speak of when you come into the presence of Sadhguru, uh, you know, when you're overwhelmed with transcendental emotion, which you have, you don't know how to deal with it. It's like, wow, where did that come from? I've never experienced anything like that. And I've taken a lot of drugs, but nothing like this. Where is this coming from? So Krishna is kind. He gives us, he, he tosses out his... Uh, his hook, and he grabs us somehow or other and lets us know that experiential realization is what this is all about. There's a nice narration in the beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam wherein Narada Muni explains that when he began his spiritual life, he was in a deplorable condition. He was the, the son of a well, washerwoman, is that how they say it? Uh, maidservants. And uh, somehow or other, uh, she was serving a group of devotees. Therefore, being the child of, of this washerwoman, uh, Narada Muni, he also served the devotees. And he also heard what they were talking about. And he heard some attraction. Oh, this sounds unique. And because he did that service... The devotees, they're so kind, they benedict us, they bless us. They have our best interest at heart, even more than we ourselves have our best interest at heart. They gave him some benediction for his nice service. What was that benediction? He became interested in spiritual life. And then Krishna pushed him along the way. And sometimes we'll say, whoa. Am I really ready for Krishna to push me along the way? Now, the way he pushed 
Nardamuni along the way seems rather abrupt. He took his mother away from him. And Nardamuni's alone. But he's thinking about what he heard from those sages. And he says, maybe, maybe I should just take to this spiritual life. And he did. He began to, to follow what he'd heard from the sages. Sincerely and seriously. Because you can imagine his, he was a young boy and his mother's taken away from him. Where's he got to turn? Uh, just like us in life, if something, some catastrophe befalls us, generally we'll see at that time we approach God. He took that approach. And Krishna, just like we were talking about the taste of prasadam or seeing a picture, or being in the presence of Krishna's devotees or what to speak of that special devotee who, who's above the rest, who you see is, there's my hope. There's someone who can really draw me in. Guru, spiritual master. So we, we see that significance. Or we hear in Kirtan, there's some, some effect. So in this particular instance, Narada got super mercy. Krishna personally appeared before him. Narada was just overtaken. Just overwhelmed his senses became completely filled in every way unimaginable to us but we can have some small inkling of imagination just by what we've experienced in the practice of devotional service from time to time a little sliver of, of spiritual light comes to us either in taste or in sound or in smell some emotion is there some feeling what to speak when all your senses are overwhelmed when Krishna himself appears before you. And then what did Krishna tell Narada Muni as a young boy? I gave you something you weren't qualified for just to pull you along. You won't see me again in this life. But that one darshan visit from Krishna was enough to inspire Narada Muni to become completely perfect in his devotional practice and give up entirely all desire for sense enjoyment, exploitative enjoyment, and only desire spiritual enjoyment. So that's the key for us, is to understand experientially that there is a realm of enjoyment which is our natural inheritance. And when we begin spiritual practice, we will know we're on the right path because we will feel satisfied. Just as a hungry man knows by eating bite after bite, his hunger is dissipating, his body is being nourished, energy is going throughout. Same experience. If we notice in our devotional practice no matter what level of devotional practice we have, no matter where we're at in our... Because everybody's different. Everybody's approaching Krishna consciousness from a different level. Everybody's going to make, hopefully, complete progress in this lifetime. That should be our goal. Some of us may not make that, but we need to strive for that. We need to make sure that we are, in our devotional practice, being spiritually nourished and if we're not tasting spiritual nourishment we need to look seriously at our practice 
An interesting thing, Bhakti Vinod, who's the father and also guru, Siksa guru of Bhakti Siddhanta, who is the spiritual master of Bhakti Vedanta, who is the spiritual master of most of our spiritual masters in this room. Uh, he said, he said from one Akadasi to another, Akadasi is twice a month, we should note how much that we are progressing in spiritual life. We should see we have progressed since that last 14 days ago to this Akadasi day. I feel that there's been some progress. I feel some nourishment. I feel my chanting has improved. Not a lot, but just a little. My reading, my attention when I'm reading, my attendance, my, my appreciation of the devotees, my appreciation of the deity. Fit every 15 days, this assessment should be there on a codicy. Is the taste still there? Is it waning? Am I letting my material senses drag me back? And I'm not getting that taste from my chanting, from my reading, from my association with the devotees, from my service, from my prashadam. Well, that one's easy. but Sometimes too easy. We need to take it to heart. This is serious study. We have somehow or other been blessed with coming into the association of the highest standard of devotional love for the Lord. And we're being trained under good guidance how to employ that standard in such a way that we can end all of our material miseries and taste unlimited spiritual satisfaction. We can attain our eternal position in relationship with Krishna. Not that we're just showing up for church and getting our daily bread and going to go to heaven and my family's going with me and I'm going to enjoy and I'm going to have, what is it, 101 virgins? Is that what I get now for blowing my... I, is it? Okay. 72. This isn't that kind of class. We're not here to study that kind of an arrangement for some business dealings where... I'm fed because God feeds me and I worship him or I get what I want through the worship. We're not interested in the, in the business arrangement. Business arrangement is here for this world of exploitation. And the amazing thing is, what did we talk about last night? I'm not last night, last week. What did we talk about? There's no need for a business arrangement. What's the ass do? He does business. What could the ass do? He could go out in the field and just eat. He didn't need to go through all that business arrangement. Right? So why should we be an ass? Krishna's already feeding everybody, clothing everybody, the sun, the wind, the water, everything's there. It'll come naturally if we simply serve Krishna. My Isarvani Karmani Sanyasya dhyatma chetasa. Nirasir nirmamo putva. Yudvasva vigatajwara. Therefore, our Arjuna, surrender all your works unto me with full knowledge of me, without desire for profit, with no claims to proprietorship, 
and free from lethargy, fight. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Heavy? Anybody feel heavied out? Wow. That's pretty heavy stuff there. I have to work like I'm in an army, like a soldier, simply follow orders with no concern about my personal self. How does one liberate and function, you know? That's How does he? You know, without... To live without profit. You know? yeah. yeah. My gosh. We need profit. We yeah. need to be fed, clothed. We need sunlight. We need the, the moon to make all the vegetables succulent and tasty. We need so many things in order to survive. But is that a fine line between greed and um, just living in general? Is it a fine because line? Because, what, what yes, it's, it's an knowledge. expert science. Yes, you've you've met you've hit you've hit a very fine point. It's it's a very it's a very expert science. It's interesting. Just uh, yesterday, I got an email. Uh, I answer emails for uh, that come into uh, from the website Krishna.com. If you've ever been there, there's a place where you can ask somebody a question. Or you can go online and they'll answer you right then and there if somebody's available. So anyway, I, I just get the emails that nobody else wants to answer. <laughs> I'm not the only one. There's some other devotees that are much more expert than I. But One gentleman wrote, he says, You know, I've been reading Bhagavad Gita and I've been reading Srimad Bhagavatam and I'm very attracted to this. But the more I read, the more I become despondent thinking I'm this is this is beyond my capacity this is beyond my ability I can't surrender the way Krishna wants us to surrender I can't enter into the moods that I read of in Srimad Bhagavatam of complete dependence on the supreme it just makes me more and more despondent what do you recommend so what would we what would you recommend what bridges the gap between what we hear from Shastra and how we employ those directives in a way that they can nourish my life spiritually. What bridges that gap? What makes a purport like this, which seems so quote, quote, heavy, guru is heavy. What bridges the gap for us? What gives us a proper understanding according to our position, according to our time, according to our circumstance? What gives us true contact with this Shastra, with Krishna's directions, so that they can become effective and not simply make us bewildered, make us despondent. 
What is that bridging factor? Guru. Guru is the bridge. He's that person in our lives that nourishes us according to our position. You do like this. We read Shastra and we say, well, we must renounce everything. Well, can a housewife renounce everything? Renounce her responsibilities for her children and her husband? Is that the right course of action? Arjuna was a, a warrior. He said, uh, I'm out of here. I'm throwing down my bows and arrows. I'm not, uh, this is not for me. Is that the kind of renunciation that leads to spiritual benefit in our life? The bridging factor that personal intervention by Krishna in our lives comes through the guru. Acharya mam vigyaniyam. Krishna explains in the 11th canto when he was given instruction to Uddhava. He, exp- he gave this verse. Charyamam, Vigyaniyam. You should see no difference between the Acharya and myself. You should never be disrespectful to the Acharya, the Guru. You should see the Guru as the representative of all the demigods. Why should we see the Guru as representative of all the demigods? What do the demigods do for us. Provide us knowledge. They, rep- they provide us with everything we need to survive. Everything. There's a demigod in charge of the sunlight. His name is Vivashwan. There's one in charge of the moonlight. Chandra. There's one in charge of the wind. Vayu. There's one in charge of the waters. Varuna. All the necessities of our life are provided by for us by the demigods. And the materialistic person follows the dictates of the Shastra, the Karma Khanda dictates, where they still want to do some business. Karma simply means business. And they follow the Karma Khanda sections of the Vedas and they do their business with the demigods for what's provided them. We see Guru as a representative of the demigods because he's the one that arranges for us everything. We become completely dependent on Guru. He's that bridging factor. We don't have to worship the demigods. Why? Acharyam mam vijnanam. Krishna is saying, there's no difference between the Acharya, your teacher, there's no difference between him and me. Where do the demigods get all of their power? From Krishna. If you have a direct connection with Krishna, if the guru is not different from Krishna, then all those necessities of for our existence are provided 
simply by serving Guru. It's a high spiritual concept. Many people can't understand this, this science. They can't understand when Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Tadvidi Pranipatena, Pari Prashnena Sevaya, Upadekshanti Te Gyanam Janinas Tatvadarsina. If you really want to know me, approach a spiritual master. Inquire submissively, seriously. Render some service. The self-realized soul can impart knowledge to you because he's seen the truth. And the other thing we notice about the spiritual master is what? He's a charya. He's seen the truth and he's applied that truth in his day-to-day -day life. So we can, by observing his activities, have some objective. We can have some ideal example of what our ambition is. Guru is so far ahead of us, so advanced. Sometimes he's actually coming down from the spiritual world. He's not even, you know, He's not even of this plane. He's nichasiddha, eternally perfect. And sometimes he has some place in this world and some place in the spiritual world together. Sometimes he's simply looking towards the spiritual realm. But the acharya, he's always in the position of the perfect example for us. Charya means one who teaches by example. He shows us this is the ideal. And we notice in his character and in his activity, there is no deviation from serving Krishna all the time, like it pointed out in this purport. So, Acharyamam Vigyaniyam. We should always see the Acharya as same as Krishna, on the same plane, on the same platform. Kind of very unique concept. Uh, and we should never disrespect the spiritual master. Therefore, Arjuna, surrender all your works unto me with full knowledge of me, without desire for profit, and no, with no claim to proprietorship and free from lethargy fight. Now we'll notice... Later in Bhagavad Gita, that in giving instruction to Arjuna, which is basically for our benefit, that Krishna never closes the door on our involvement in spiritual life because of our conditioning, because of the plane from where we're coming. It's the, if you can't do this, do that series of verses. If you can't do everything, do something. And he goes down gradually, gradually, to the point, well, if you can't even appreciate that there's a God, at least do good for society. He goes pretty far down from the topmost spiritual platform that he's putting forth in this verse. 
to the fact of just, just do good for people. Text 31. Those persons who execute their duties according to my injunctions and who follow this teaching faithfully without envy become free from the bondage of fruitive actions. Without envy. We have to perform devotional life and devotional practice without envy. And one thing I'll say in this regard is envy means also that if we can simply appreciate what Krishna is trying to give us, what the guru is trying to give us as far as a directive, if we can appreciate what they're trying to do for us and appreciate the glory of what it would be like to be able to fully follow those instructions, that appreciation in and of itself is significant. We may not be able to follow exactly what Krishna says. The guru may give us some directive. We're not yet, we don't yet have the spiritual qualification to, to take into our life. He may be like that. There may be some direction like that. But if we can maintain a consciousness of non-enviousness of that directive, that then everything is all right. Otherwise, we become rebellious. He's telling me to do something. He knows I can't do it. Or this is beyond me. And, and, and why am I being pushed? And rather we say... Push me as far as you can, but I'm really fallen. This is going to take some special mercy. And you'll, you'll hear some devotees, they'll say, well, the guru never asked you to do anything that you can't do. Well, I, I would hope that it was like that, but sometimes there may be some time between the time he gives you the instruction and the time that you do what he told you to do. It's not unheard of. When did Bhakti Vedanta get the instruction to come to this Western world and preach? First meeting. Very first meeting. He was a young man, huh? How old was he? 20? I think he was in his twenties. Took him eleven years to get initiated. And what year did he come? What was his age when he came? Sixty-nine. No, sixty-five was the year. Sixty-nine was the year. There was some time between the guru saying, you do this, <laughs> and the disciple taking it to heart fully. He took it to heart when he heard the instruction, this is the objective. If I can come to this level of surrender, then I'll please my spiritual master fully. I'll fully get his grace if I can do this thing he's told me when I first met him. And the instruction may, what do you say, percolate? You may hear the instruction and it's like, how am I ever going to do that? But the determination to eventually accomplish that instruction begins to work as we continue in 
our sadhana practice, in our hearing, in our chanting, in our association, in our sincerity, in, in Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna. How am I going to do this? Krishna, Krishna, Hare, Hare. Hare Rama, Hare. I don't. Hare Rama, 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 Hare. We become absorbed in the instruction of the spiritual master and eventually Krishna says, oh, you can do like this. I, I have an idea. If you go see this lady, she owns a freight line. She owns all these ships. I bet you she'll give you a free passage. So Krishna inspires from within so that we can fulfill the order of the spiritual master. And it may not happen automatically. It may not happen immediately. But we should never be envious of the instruction. We should never think it can't happen. It can happen. Krishna can purify me. This chanting can work even on me. Even though I have no qualification, even though I have no ability, even that I, I have nothing as far as any credential to even practice spiritual life, someone has taken interest in me. Someone has come to bridge the gap. And he has reached out to me and he has invited me into this plane of spiritual involvement. Let me take some interest there. Let me take some steps as he directs as much as I can do now and maybe I can do more later. But those who out of envy disregard these teachings and do not follow them are to be considered bereft of all knowledge, befooled, and ruined in their endeavors for perfection. Sometimes all we can do is worship the directions. Sometimes that's all the only thing that we have. <laughs> but if we can worship the directions without envy, then spiritual advancement will come. Does that make sense? the door into that realm, the invitation may be some time in coming because we have to come to that plane. You can aspire to serve Krishna as nicely as those devotees. Even better than that is to serve those that serve better than yourself. In the spiritual realm, everybody aspires to serve who? Srimati Radharani. Why? No one does it better than Radha. She's the best. So everyone's thinking, let me help her. Because she's so good. Krishna is always pleased with her. There's never a time he's displeased with her service. He says, I can never repay your service. Be content in and of yourself with the service you do. There's nothing I can do to repay you. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, what? I can repay you. Yes. Ye yatabam prapajyante. All of them, as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. But in the highest realm of spiritual exchange, he throws up his hands, Krishna does, and says, I, I can't. I can't reciprocate with your service. I can't reciprocate with your love. This is beyond my comprehension. 
please be content with yourself. Yes, we can aspire to, to do things nicely. If you take the service attitude and try to render service to those that are doing the most, all the talents you see in them will in time manifest in yourself automatically. That's one of the secrets of devotional service. Yes, sir. The, the key point, I guess, here is that uh, you, need to, you need to be careful to keep it on the spiritual platform that not allow the material ending creep in and, uh, and ruin your association or your relationship with others because you will start to perceive them from the material point of view and not, not from the spiritual. So if, even if you recognize that someone is, you know, like this, actually, you know, this, that someone knows how to play harmonium doesn't mean that he is spiritually more advanced, that he has more devotion. He is maybe a better musician than me. But, uh, you know, so that's, that's just a separate issue. But, uh, but if you see that someone is engaged uh, to the better degree from your point of view, it should inspire you to serve better. And, uh, and, and when you keep yourself in this, you know, humility, like Lord Chandra probably said that, well, I cannot serve Krishna so nice, but, you know, I would like to, uh, you know, I would like to find more inspiration to, to do such nice service like those other devotees do. This will always keep you in the, how to say, in the safe place. Any questions, other questions, comments? I'll stop there for now. Yes. So the, uh, you know, this, this point of being envy about the instructions, Krishna's instructions, is quite important, it seems. And uh, I'm trying to understand how, how it manifests in our, you know, how it could manifest in our life that we reject the instruction, that we think that... I'll tell you how it manifested in my life, okay. my spiritual life. I had a real problem with Lord Chaitanya's dealings with Chota Haridas. Here is a renunciant, a direct associate of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a devotee in that association. He simply had some little, he was, he'd already renounced uh, association with the fair sex he somehow or other engaged in a conversation in such a way that it was apparent that he still had some desire in that regard. But he didn't act on it. But Lord Chaitanya was so strict with him, he immediately said, I can't let him be in my association anymore. Of course, it broke the devotee's heart. My gosh, I can't be with Sri Chaitanya anymore. He... And all the devotees, all the Sangha, the whole group, they did as much as they could to, to placate the situation, to soften Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's heart so that he would again invite this devotee back in. He would forgive him for this minor offense. It didn't happen. And the devotee became so despondent that he departed. He left his body. That's how despondent he came. What can I do? I can't serve Lord Chaitanya. My life is worthless. Why live? I had a hard time with that. 
where is the mercy? Where's the forgiveness? Where is the compassion? Lord Chaitanya is so merciful. He's the most merciful manifestation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And look what he's doing with his, his personal associate. So for a long time, I, I read it and reread it and, you know, read the, this is in the Chaitanya Charitamrita and, and read all the other, you know, you read all the different pastimes and you see how Sri Chaitanya is interacting with various devotees. And how he's, uh, and eventually I came to terms with it. There was a significance there. And I learned the inner secret of that, of that pastime. It was revealed to me. The significance of the fact that there cannot be any cheating tendency in those people who put themselves forward as renunciants. Lord Chaitanya is not going to tolerate it. Better you never take sannyas. And that's one of his dictates. Of course, his devotees are so kind, they, they take the, the, the supreme risk just to, to push on this preaching. I was envious of that direction, that firmness. Never come into my association again. It took some time for me to rectify that in my consciousness, to understand the inner meaning of the pastime, to understand how Sri Chaitanya was using his devotee as a tool to teach society at large. And that Sri Chaitanya was truly relishing this devotee's service immensely because after the devotee departed, he would come and sing bhajan for Sri Chaitanya's pleasure and Sri Chaitanya would relish it. What level of surrender for somebody like that to let Krishna use them, to be the example, to be used as an example. Even in recent history, I have God brothers that were used as examples. It's sometimes hard to get your head around what the heck's going on, but later in life you see, ah, these are men that I, re men and God brothers that I respected. I always looked up to them, and then they're made an example of due to due to so many reasons. The questions come. And the possibility of envying Krishna for the way he de he's dealing with people, it's sometimes difficult with hand, without hands-on direction from the guru to see our way through these things. Now, for whatever reason, uh, our spiritual master departed earlier in our life. Somehow we were, we were apparently left to fend for ourselves. I've learned differently later in life about that, but... And I have a different perspective even on that. But you may say, well, the guru's left me. He's departed. And, and that means we don't understand guru yet. We don't understand the, the depth and the width of guru. All these things come as long as we can remain, remain free of, of an envy and have enough faith in Krishna and and the process of devotional service to steer our way through these things. One thing I can guarantee you, when the consciousness gives you some difficulty, and there's some, some difficulty, there's, there's, got, there's bound to be difficulties. We're trying to free ourselves from lifetimes of misconception.
So there's bound to be difficulties. Our consciousness is not going to be just, I mean, I'd pray that you could all just be there. But Krishna is going to test us all a little bit. He's going to test our, he's going to test our metal. One thing you do through all the tests, you keep on sincerely. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Rama, Hari Rama, 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 Hari Hari. No matter what the tests are, no matter what the consciousness is, no matter what the misconceptions are, no matter the fact that you read something, it's not immediately revealed to you the inner meaning, the higher meaning. And even your guru may seem indifferent to answering this question. That's all right, it'll come later. He may even seem neglectful sometimes. I could tell you, but we'll have to wait some time before you understand. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Another um, aspect of envy that I was thinking of is to think that the instruction or the teaching is self-motivated on the part of the teacher. You know, that he's telling me to do this because he wants something. Or Krishna's giving this instruction because, you know, Krishna wants us to worship him. Like that's also part of an envious mind. Instead of thinking, he's giving me this instruction for my benefit, not Krishna does want us to worship him. But he wants us to worship his devotees more than himself. But yes, it's for our benefit. Krishna doesn't need anything. He owns everything. Krishna doesn't need our worship. He's the source of us. They sometimes use the analogy of offering Ganges water to worship the Ganges. (laughs) What the? the, What's the Ganges going to do with some Ganges water? Anything else? I was just, uh, you know, what I was thinking about is that, uh, like, considering, for example, that some instructions they they uh, are applicable only in particular time, or that while you know we can think that well now is twenty what two thousand eleven, so those instructions which were you know set. For example, in the 70s or you know, mm-hmm. 5,000 years ago, because the situation was different, that they don't apply now or they don't have. Some of them may not apply now. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, what I was thinking. Where, where uh, how to say, if this is, you know, if this could be to having this attitude towards, towards those instructions, if this could be example of, or, or manifestation of some envy or, or just. You know, being practical, being 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 practical, Krishna conscious person. You have to have faith in Guru. If he's made some modification, as long as you see that the core elements are there, your Guru may tell you to do different than someone prior in this in the parampara. That's there. That's what Guru means. That's why this is a living parampara. That's why we don't buy into the concept of of worshiping Guru the way the Christians worship Jesus. Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. He was dealing with a certain class of men who had a certain mentality in a, at a certain period in the history of, in the long history of men. We may even notice institutionally the prior gurus, uh, you know, their institution is, is embracing 
the way they put everything forth. That will not stand the test of time. I'm sorry. It's not going to stand. Guru has to adjust things according to where and to whom he's preaching. That's what Acharya means. He has to make adjustments so that people can take the, on the practice of Krishna consciousness. And those instructions are, are different. They're different according to the individual being instructed. They're different according to the time and the place. Those are details. The details may differ. The details may differ. The principles are there. But what does it mean, principles? The principles are guru, sadhu, and sastra. The principles are that one has to what? Always remember Krishna and never forget him. One has to what? Come to the platform of pure, unalloyed, unmotivated, uninterrupted service to the Supreme Lord in transcendental love. That's the objective. How to get there? Those are details the Guru's going to say. You chant like this. You worship like this. The emphasis is this for you. You become a householder. You raise children. You become a sannyas. You renounce everything. You stay brahmachari. You wash the pots. You worship the deity. You distribute the books. All details. You chant this many rounds. So many details are there. Details are details. Objective of devotional practice, that's the same. And that's fortified by Guru, Sadhu, and Sastra. That standard will never change. How to get there? That may need to be tweaked a little bit according to our position. Anything else? Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.